Welcome to Care Talk, America's home for incisive debate about healthcare business and policy. I'm David Williams, president of Health Business Group. And I'm John Driscoll, the CEO of CareCentrics. Hey, John, the fans have been complaining that you and I are not opinionated enough. Why don't we bring a guest on the show who's got a little more something to say, takes a point of view? Well, we are, we are, we are super lucky to have one of the leaders of the Lincoln Projects, Steve Schmidt, uh, today, who not only ha- brings opinions about substance, about the current political moment. Welcome, Steve. Hey, it's good to be with you both. Thanks for having me. So, Steve, tell us a little bit about how you think we're going to come together as a country and make progress on healthcare. You're really a political expert, but a lot of the critical challenges we have right now, like COVID, uh, are healthcare issues. I'd say this. The first important thing to understand is what is this moment, right? What, what are we living in? There's a lot of reason to be optimistic with regard to healthcare in this moment in that we are on the edge of an age of discovery of wonder, of scientific advancement. We are going to make advances in science and medicine that beggar the imagination. I think we are at the end of an era. We are at the beginning of a new time. And that era that has ended lasted for about 75 years. And the author of that era was the 30. Second president of the United States, Franklin Roosevelt. This man had a vision from Harry Truman through Republican and Democratic presidents, right, until Donald Trump in 2016. So we come now to the election of Donald Trump, and five years later, six months after a bloody insurrection, in a moment of great division that teems with a threat of political violence where a life-saving vaccine has been politicized for the purposes of causing chaos, for the purposes of Trump and his faction to blame the people who are trying to solve the problem, the scientists, the doctors, the public health officials. So that, so that wound is there, what, what, what the, and it's ripped open, and it's ripped open at a time when the only way we're going to make progress among the unvaccinated, we have 600,000 dead, is, is to find a way to either defeat or some combination of defeat and come together. What, what can we do right now? There are people who are legitimately confused about the vaccine because of the weight of the lies, the commitment of the liars. The power of profit and power that is the goal of the misinformation. And the nihilism and immorality of people who would stand by and watch tens of thousands of people die and suffer because it profits them for power or for profit. So you have to you have to under you have to you have to understand that. We have to end the confusion around the safety and efficacy of the vaccine as quickly as possible by doing a couple of things. The FDA has created needless confusion by not approving the vaccine, number one. Number number two, there must be constant communication, and the president should use his bully pulpit to call to service the most credible voices that can reach into this population 
with the most effectiveness, period. Number, number three thing that we can do is, is we can implore our unvaccinated friends and loved ones in an uncondescending tone that begs them to stop being abused by misinformation and for them to understand the risk, part of which is that we are now on the edge of the dawn of what will be remembered in the next chapter as the children's pandemic, as the Delta variant now makes six a population that statistically heretofore has been immune. And so how do you think the president's done? I mean, you're, you're, you've advised um, presidents, you've advised president, presidential nominees. Um, how, how's Biden doing at, at, at achieving that? I think the president is doing a very good job across the board. But as the circumstances have, have presented themselves in this ugly moment, and think about this, we were at the edge of the riverbank, right? We, we had elements across the river when the misinformation counterattack went completely crazy. And the people who did everything they possibly could to make sure we didn't reach herd immunity in this country by sowing wild conspiracy theories, they have stopped the advance of immunization, of a life-saving vaccine. This has happened before in war and in other circumstances. It requires political leadership to regain the initiative and the momentum by talking to the people that need to be talked to and understanding how best to reach them, while at the same time not being blind to the moral dimensions of this issue. And the magnitude of the acts of corruption and evil, and I use the word deliberately, that are responsible for killing hundreds of thousands of people. There is also another reality to this that is important for us to understand. Well, before you go there, who, who would you call out on that? Do you think Governor DeSantis is for vaccinations, but he's against masks for kids. I'm not quite sure... What kind of moral moral standard that is? Governor DeSantis has politicized this with his attacks on Dr. Fauci. He has tried to walk a balance beam. He has been undone by his gambling and his maneuvering as Florida has descended into what could have been avoided and was always predictable, a COVID disaster zone. That's what Ron DeSantis has brought, death, death to Florida. All of these people, whether it's Sean Hannity who goes on TV and says get vaccinated and then undermines it in his next breath on the radio show, they are all of them complicit in the deaths of hundreds of thousands of people because of the venality, the stupidity, the immorality of their actions over the course of this. And so now lastly, this will be the final teacher. And the final teacher will be what comes for us all in the end. And that's death. Every day, and this is where news organizations, because I don't know 
What's a bigger story in the moment than this one, except the collapse of our democracy, right? The equally lethal lies, right? But the lead of the story every day on every newscast should be this. It should be what 39 or 40 year old man or woman with the most children died. Steve, you talked about uh, FDR. You, you talked about FDR before on, on your very popular Twitter feed. You've got from another quote from him, no one can tame a tiger into a kitten by stroking it. And I wonder what that means to you. And also, you've been talking a lot about science and efficacy of the vaccine and so on. So should we just follow the science? Any downside to that? All of the decisions that we are talking about are political decisions. Political decisions. We don't want to turn over the country to a panel of scientists any more than we want to turn the country over to a panel of priests. What we do want to have is commonsensical decision-making. Right? You, you want people who can approach problems through a prism of good judgment, grounded in good faith, a sense of morality, duty, and commitment to the public good. Not to use the pandemic to stoke conspiracies, to create fanaticism in a base that is algorithmically imprisoned by misinformation by companies like Facebook and consign them to death because that may lift you a couple points in consideration to be Trump's next vice president because that guy is the presumptive nominee right now for 2024. So how do you think Elise Stefanik is doing in terms of maneuvering herself? And she uh, seemed to be a new healthcare policy expert based on her latest uh, pronouncements. Look, why do we have to pretend that anything she says is on the level when we know it's not, that she is a person who, through her own words, has denounced what she embraced for her advancement and ambition. We know what she is. Isn't the question around Elise Stefanik and all of these people, why? Why are they doing this? And what is the meaning of the why in a moment where... It's not an accumulation of appalling moments, but rather a moment in an unfolding story, an event. And this is where I go back to at the beginning, at the edge of a new era, which is where we are. We are in a period where events will shape the beginning of whatever that next era is. So how do we split that? Because we still have a democracy, uh, but how do you split that very powerful, very large Trump coalition? If he's the presumptive nominee, he got 75 million votes the last time. What's the what's the technique by either the the Liz Cheney's and Adam Kinzinger, the 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 breakaway Republican truth tellers, or Democratic leaders or community leaders to tell a story? that people can believe that splits that coalition that lost, but they didn't lose by much. First thing we have to talk about is the vitality of the democracy. So yes, we still do have a democracy, but it is a sick democracy. It is an unhealthy, it is a diseased democracy and weakening. And one of the 
measurements on the degradation of the democracy is globally. Um, we are moving down the ladder um, towards something that is more autocratic. And certainly it is the case that with the exception of two members of the House of Representatives, really the whole of the Republican Party has abandoned their commitment to democracy in the pursuit of power and are doing everything they can to try to limit votes, to try to shrink the number of people who can participate, making assertions that are lies about the election, because democracy is fueled by faith and belief in a legitimacy, a fairness, an equitability around the distribution of power. Right. So in this country, a federal republic created by the states. We have a system that awards political power through an elections process of majority rule, including with the electoral college. Even if you disagree with it, right, it is a majority rule outcome, even if it's subverted by a popular vote outcome, right or wrong, right? It's a, it's a majority vote system that gives people lawful authority to exercise political power in a system where the power of government is enumerated, power of government is restrained, and individual rights are protected. You cannot be for overturning an election and be for American democracy. It's all in or all out, and they're out. And they're telling us that through actions every day. So that's the first thing you have to understand about our democracy is the level of rot and decay because from history we know when democracies fall from that rot and decay, the events that usually are similar at the time of the ending of that. And you see this playing out is Poland a democracy today? I would say no. Is Hungary a democracy today? I would say no. What What do we do to break that coalition and 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 build an American coalition from what's effectively a pretty sizable, as as you I think you and I both would characterize it, anti-American coalition? We have to we have to talk about those things that bind us. And the idea without feeling that, there's a, that there is a necessity to recriminate what is great about the nation while understanding the story of the country in both its glory and its shame for the purposes of doing our work which is to make a more perfect union, to talk about citizenship. The opportunity in this country is rooted in the idea of the country, but also its anniversary approaching of 250 years. We will be 250 years old very soon, and we will have great celebrations. Let us talk about what it is that we have what it has become, the greatest pluralistic democracy 
that has ever been, a country that at long last, where everyone, regardless of their gender or race, gets to participate and talk about it as a moral issue. But even before you go there, I think, David, you're going to ask about the Olympics. We've got something to celebrate right now. Exactly. So what's going on with Simone Biles? Racism. It's racism. A Republican consultant gave this quote once. He said, elections used to be as easy in a South Carolina draw. In 1956, you just said the N-word, the N-word, the N-word. By 1968, you talked about forced busing. So Trump's movement, this movement, is not democracy. This is nationalism. Nationalism is rooted in an idea of attachment not to ideas, but to an ethnicity, to an entitlement of place and position because of that ethnicity and a sense of superiority that is built around it. She is the greatest champion in the history of her sport. She is uncontestably the greatest gymnast who has ever lived. Now, the truth is, no one listening to this, unless it's an elite gymnast, has any idea what goes on in any of these people's head. When you look at a Simone Biles that is of the divine, through hard work and determination and toughness and grit, these athletes approach a level of perfection. And so the instinct... The dignity, the example, drives a grievance and a rage of resentment. And that is why you have these cherubic, overweight, right-wing couch potatoes launching onto their social media feeds to put her down. But I think that, Steve, embedded in what you're talking about is an opportunity to talk in a patriotic American way about all of the successes. I look at the Olympics and they represent every aspect, you know, a, a Harvard educated sprinter and a, 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 a woman of Jamaican descent who, who got sponsored in the pen relays um, to, you know, some of the great athletes of, 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 of the Midwest winning gold after gold in swimming. There is so much we, we have, we have invented a global solution for COVID-19. There's a lot of, of, I think, patriotic American success that I think if we could weave together, and I think healthcare, for example, is, is, is a remarkable, as you pointed out, whether it's genomics or just simple vaccine delivery, we are, we are going to save mil, you know, hundreds of millions of lives over the next generation um, with as lessons to this. I think that's that's the big opportunity right now to to create more of an American narrative that in a di- once you acknowledge the challenge will I think unify make may not, it's not going to unify everyone but it I think starts to weave the story back together that people aspirationally to your point starting with love but but also pride can lean into I mean I don't know do you think that's that's too that's too uh, 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 positive. You, you cannot confront the things that we need to confront without confronting them with idealism. 
right? With, with a love, a love of an idea, a love of country, right? So you have to, you have to talk about what that idea is. You have to talk about concepts like obligation and courage, and you have to tell stories that illuminate them. All of these things are important, but it becomes Pollyannish if it's not paired with the understanding that the moment requires confrontation with something that is real. Well, John, thanks for taking us from that dark place and at least briefly sending us down the love canal before we ended up, I'm not sure exactly where. In any case, that's it for yet another edition of Care Talk. I'm David Williams, president of Health Business Group. And I'm John Driscoll, CEO of Care Centers. Thank you, Steve. 